Dave, how are you doing? Pretty good. This is number 70. What? Yeah, 70 episodes of Paleo Nerds. Well, I guess we've done well. Um, <laughs> let's call, It's good, man. It's, it's yeah. a wrap. It's a wrap. Yeah. I can't wait for 700. <laughs> well, let's... Let's try to get an even hundred at least and okay. more. I'm in okay. for it, man. So, all right. How are you? Uh, I'm great. You know, it's, it's, I don't need to tell you what it's doing outside, do I? <laughs> Let me guess. Is it raining horizontally? Ah, <laughs> uh, the rain and the wind. Open your window. Let's hear uh, it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is wet. Rain and the wind and the cold and yeah. the wet. Is not a thing you'll soon forget. Ah, I did just you make that. that up? Yeah, oh, you wrote that. I was reading that. <laughs> well, yesterday I was flying a model plane in the 75 degree California weather in the December, and I crashed it full speed into the lake. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. So it was so far away, I had to rent a motorboat. So there I was uh, with a tinny and an outboard motor in a t shirt. And jeans heading across the lake where I retrieved my airplane. Oh, man. But was, uh, is there just a guy sitting down there waiting for these airplanes to fall out of the sky? And he's got, you got to hire him for a hundred bucks or something? We have a model airport is at Lake Casitas. Okay. Okay. The model airport has a a paved runway and there's a whole group, the Ventura County Comets. We fly all kinds of aircraft. And most of these guys are aviation engineers, ex-aviation experts. Ventura... County, County Comets. Comets. That's the name of our group. Yeah, we okay. have meetings and everything. Well, really? Yeah, are it's you a the, club. Are you the chairman of something or other? No, I'm a vice president. Oh, I'm you vice, are? Yeah. Of the VCC? Yeah, yeah. Oh, let me ask you this. Is it just a bunch of old uh, old guys or are there uh, the other gender there at all? There are 70 members. There is okay. no other gender. It's 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 a male-dominated <laughs> hobby. <laughs> You mean totally, it's kind of exclusive, Dave, sounds like. Well, no, it's just that there aren't many women who got into flying and building radio control airplanes. Well, you know, I think uh, you need to expand your membership and reach out. I'd love to. Believe me, we're trying to get those kids, but, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to drop a Game Boy or Fortnite or uh, keep away from your screen to uh, sit there and take a box of sticks and glue and a Rexacto blade and build a model airplane out of it. You can't just go buy one from the store and fly it. Yeah, is that the thing oh, with sure. the VCC? Oh, sure. That's, that's the other issue is, yes, you can. For a couple hundred bucks, you can literally get a plane. Not only does it fly out of the box, but it has gyros and safe modes so that if you are heading toward the ground, it automatically rights itself. And some of these planes even land themselves. Oh, man, just like a Tesla. Yeah. Wow, yeah. cool. <laughs> just, like, just like a Tesla recall. So to, <laughs> to shorten my story... Yeah. Uh, It was a beautiful day yesterday. I rented a motorboat, retrieved my plane, uh, pulled out all the electronics, and uh, the bits of the plane are in my trash right now. So you've got things to do out there in the garage. That's that's good. Keeps you busy. Keeps you off the street. That's uh, right. But have you been keeping up with the paleo news, man? Yeah. There is uh, a tyrannosaurid. Thank you. Which is of the Tyrannosauridae family. Tyrannosauridae. And it's a, it's a, isn't it a, Gorgosaurus. A Gorgo. Gorgo. Yeah. Gorgosaurus. That just doesn't sound so paleontologically correct, does it? Gorgo. Well, you know. A Gorgosaurus. But wait, I am sort of a, a dinosaur freak from way back when, a little older than you. And there was the English version of Godzilla, 
was right? Gorgo. No way. Yeah, I Gorgo. Didn't know that. Yeah, Gorgo. You know, the baby was out there first, and then they realized, oh my God, it's, it's destroying London. And then, like, it's like, oh my what? God, there's, there's that's just a, there's the baby. a London Godzilla. Oh yeah, no, it tears down Big Ben, the whole thing. You know, and, no and I way. was. I this, always is this kinda, after Godzilla because Godzilla yeah, was the first. Yeah, of course, it was a derivative. It was highly oh, right, derived, right. you know. But uh, it. it was the English version of yes. Godzilla. And is that where Gorgosaurus came from, or how do you get well, that I, very odd, non paleontological description of a I, dinosaur? I, I, Gorgon. So that is, uh, I think. It's, oh, that's a. Ancient Greek, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, mythological you know, guy those you don't want to mess with. Yeah. yeah, so anyways. Okay. So they're back to Gorgosaurus. What's yeah. the big deal about the Gorgosaurus in the Tyrannosaur they family? found his last meal. Her, oh. his or her last meal, yeah. yeah. There were limb bones, a full, two, a leg and a foot, right? Two of them from two separate species. Mm. And, Hungry that uh, morning. I've forgotten the article and to what it ate, but I know it wasn't a dog or an antelope. Uh, no, it, there were very the mammals were around then, but there were no dogs yet in, but on wait, the planet. Was this early Cretaceous, right? It wasn't late Cretaceous. I think it was middle late oh, Cretaceous. Okay, right. So it's earlier than Tyrannosaurus Rex. So like ninety million years ago or something like that. Seventy-five million years ago, to be exact. I think what they said in the article too is it was uh, they had it had ripped the legs off these poor little creatures. <laughs> I love drumsticks, that. drumsticks, boom. I love that. Yeah. So, anyways, cool fossil find. Actually, this this week, uh, let's we're gonna do mammals, right? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do mammals. I'm gonna do recent history, but not really recent history compared to uh, what you're holding up. <laughs> what is that? A that looks like a bad horse. <laughs> A homemade horse costume mask? Which curiously resembles, that? it resembles an Oreodont, I think. No, it does not. Yes, it does. I'm oh, going to ask my. our expert today. Oh, no if you, way. If you, Ray. if you get rid of the Do harness. Do not embarrass us, please. I am going to, David, because I think our guest, right. Megan Weatherell, has got a good sense of humor about her. And I yeah, think we should have does. some fun. I've been diving down into her on the internet, and she is going to be a lot of fun. So let's get her on the uh, Oreodontophone. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Color up, man. <laughs> Oreo dance and Oreo do's. The do's are dance, yes. Let's have a chat. Hey, Dave. Meet, meet Megan Weatherell, paleontologist and science writer, blogger, and assistant professor of data science at the University of Arizona and super champion of the vastly underappreciated Oreodonts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Megan, it's so nice to finally meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you, too. It's yeah. good to meet you. Uh, I've dove into your internet presence, and it's <laughs> prolific. But I do want to ask yes. you, are you a paleo nerd? Uh, yeah, of course I'm a paleo nerd. <laughs> well, were you born a paleo nerd, and, and when did you get bitten by the paleo bug? Ooh. That is a great question. And I was not born. I mean, I was technically kind of a paleo nerd. Um, one of the more humiliating aspects of my elementary school life is that uh, when I was in third grade, I got really sick and threw up on a book uh, about dinosaurs and got called <laughs> oh, Upchuck for the next like three years. Oh, um, yeah. But I was more upset that it was about dinosaurs that I puked on. But at this point, as a mammal paleontologist, that feels like Pretty dead on track. Oh, uh, I see. Oh, oh, throw a little okay. shade on the dinosaurs that's right right. Their youth. Yeah, oh. that's right. They're okay. just okay. <laughs> Oreodonts right. are better. Oreodonts um, are better. 
Exactly. Now, Ray and yeah. I have a uh, a little argument here. I say, oh, we were, yeah. yeah, I say that uh, Mary Coy Don Tadai were around oh. for thirty four million years. He says forty five million years. Who's right? So Mary Coy Don Toidia was oh, around thank for forty five years. That's the correct Mary pronunciation. Well, so that they're two different things. Mericoidodontoidia is the superfamily, and that includes Mericoidodontidae, which is the oreodonts that most people know about, and then Agriochiridae, which are the weird ones that had claws and climbed trees. And so if you combine the two of them together into a superfamily, which may or may not be phylogenetically accurate, they, they kind of split in some trees and come together in others, then it's about 45 million years. So oh. Mericoidodontoidia. But if you're just looking at Mary Coyden on today, I think it's more today? like 35 or 40. <laughs> you're talking about them today? Okay, so it's Wait. it sounds like it sounds like we're both kind of right, Dave. Yes. Yeah. So okay, there you go. This is I I kind of understood what you just said because I dove into the internet, but explain exactly what Mary Coyden today is, and the other mm -hmm. one you said is Agriochiridae. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> what are they? What are we talking okay. about here? Yeah. So I, I know both, I'm getting really well, into yeah. this. You jumped way in ahead. What the heck is an oreodont? <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. Oh, What's an oreodont? Okay. Let's do that. What is an oreodont? It's and a then pig we that have the expert cookies. here. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's a pig that. So oreodonts, both, there's two families. The two families are Agriochiridae and Mericoidodontidae. It's sort of like if you think about pigs and peccaries, those are right. both <laughs> kind of pigs. Well, agriochiridae and mericoidodonts are both kind of oreodonts. They have like the same level of relationship. Both type of oreodont are, I like to think of them as I want you to imagine a camel. And then I want you to make it the shape of a pig. Right. And then I want you to give it maybe a trunk or sometimes they have claws uh, or sometimes maybe they were aquatic. Sometimes they have cheekbones as big as like antlers, like just take that pig camel and mess it up. And that's how you get an Oriodont. And they lived for a long, long, long time, too. Yeah, so millions they had a lot of different of ways years. to get super messed up. Yeah. So uh, you've described them as like a camel sheep pigs before. So mm -hmm. they did have this spectacular long run. So about 45 million years-ish with <laughs> yeah. a big group of them. What made them so darn successful, Oriodonts? And why do people not know about them? And why should so, they know about them? They should know about them. They are probably the most common animal in North America for most of the last 50, 55 million years. Like they are everywhere. They are super, super the abundant. stars of the Cenozoic. They really, really were. Hypertrags, the little mouse deer, those do sometimes compete with them. But oh. uh, they were really, really abundant. But they were restricted to North America some of them got down into Central America and maybe a little bit into South America, but they never really left the continent. So they're they're very much a localized fauna. Huh. Uh, it's not really clear why they were so successful. They seem to have tried a lot of different evolutionary pathways. It seems as though they were not able to keep up when grass really started to spread. So once you get like big grasslands, Oriodont teeth don't ever seem to quite change enough to keep up with those changes. So we don't know why they were so successful. But we know probably that they were on the decline because of grass. So was grass. there was their environment, their ecosystem more like uh, not not forest, but forest scrubland? Would you say? Yeah. Rather than the open prairie. Yeah. Do you know what a, a tree kangaroo is? Sure. 
Yeah, he's, so... He's half Australian, Dave is. Oh, okay. Good eye, mate. Well, so <laughs> some of the first Orionauts lived a life like tree kangaroos. They were arboreal. Oh. Um, so they were that degree of forest related, is that they were actually living in the trees. That's the Agriacheres. They had little claws, and they were probably living in trees. Is that um, the late Eocene? Mm-hmm. Late right. Eocene, yeah. So like lots of hot forests, um, but they they still continue to be around as like, uh, so for example, they're very big in Oregon in the John Day Formation and the yeah. Oligocene and Miocene. And that is when like the ecosystem is starting to open up. We see them also in Nebraska at the same time when things are starting to open up. So they seem to do okay with like shrublands and slightly more open forests. But when things really started to transition towards grasslands, grass is really hard on your teeth. You have to have some pretty specific adaptations to keep up if you want to transition to grass. If you don't want to eat grass, you kind of lose some of your habitat along the way. So they don't seem to have ever made that leap to really transition fully to super open habitats. Well, let's get back to the name itself. Oreo dot mm-hmm. means mountain tooth, right? Oreos, yes. not cookies. Or So mountain tooth. So they have these jagged teeth. But mm-hmm. to be clear, and for our listening audience, they are herbivorous they are plant eaters but yet but they have some very you, scary canines in the but they front. have some very they scary do. canines i wouldn't you want kinda, to get bit by those you kind of <laughs> you know could they maybe you know maybe that's why we don't like them so or we're not so fascinated because they didn't go around kill stuff but did they maybe have a taste for blood too well they definitely had a taste for each other's blood um, oh. there are a couple of different species that seem to have really enjoyed Biting each other. Biting each other's cheeks, yeah. Yes, and, biting and each other in the, the face. morphology that I saw. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, it's uh, it's gross. Um, <laughs> they, Orionauts are kind of weird. So the Agriacheres, they look like a, like kind of a classic, what we think of as an herbivore. All of them have those like super sharp cheek teeth, which you find in deer. It's so that you, it's like scissors in your mouth, so you can slice up leaves. Oh, okay. But one thing that's really weird about Orionauts is that they keep the front teeth, not the canines. Lots of animals have canines to bite each other with. Camels do not mess with a camel. A camel not only has canines, but they've also made their incisors into like canine-like teeth. So they have like double canines. Their mouths are really scary. Yeah, so like a lot of animals have those to protect themselves and to, you know, uh, uh, be aggressive towards other things. But Orionauts also keep, yeah, exactly. Uh, But they also keep their premolars, which is something that pigs do. Uh, which is part of why they're kind of shoved over in that pig. Sh- they're also very pig shaped, but pigs are omnivores. So nobody, to my knowledge, has ever done a study to look at orionaut teeth for like stable isotopes to see if there was yeah, maybe some was element. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's not really clear why they retained those teeth. Because those teeth, if you have teeth too far in the front of your mouth, they don't have as much strength with grinding. So like you can't slice up vegetation with teeth that are in the front of your mouth. So what? Were they there for if they're not necessarily being used as efficiently to slice up vegetation? Mm. Well, how 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 did you start your obsession with <laughs> Oreo dance? Where what was the turning point? And then you slid you went way down the rabbit hole <laughs> yes. of Oreo dance. What what, uh, what started it? So I uh, went to summer camp at well I went to the outdoor school which. For people who are not from Oregon and Washington, that's a thing where your entire sixth grade or your entire fifth grade goes to a summer camp essentially for like a week. Yeah. And so I went to a science camp uh, and it was out at uh, Hancock 
uh, field station, which is in the John Day Fossil Beds National Monument. It's wow. also where I later met a lot of my paleo friends, like Amy Atwater, friend of the show. Ah, <laughs> ah yeah, she talked about that. Mary yeah, Annex. so, yeah. exactly. Is so, John Day, uh, sorry, that's an ecosystem yeah. buried by volcanic ash, and that's why it's very well preserved? Yes, it's lots and lots of volcanic ash. The section that I was in, so the Hancock Field Station is a section of the John Day fossil beds that's a little bit further away, and it's not ash itself, it's lahars, which are volcanic mudslides. Right. They came in and covered up a lot Those of things. Those are like, uh, uh, what do you call it, pyroclastic. Yeah. Yes, sometimes. Pyroclastic so, flows are superheated ash. Lahar right. is, you can have a lahar technically without an active eruption because lahar is a mudslide that occurs with a lot of ash involved. So like oh, if you have right. a lot of ash on the surface, you can have a lahar a little while, while so later as well. So it's a water well. event then? A water it's and ash event? A water and ash and rocks and ah. mud event. Yeah. Lahar, har, har. But So let me ask you this. <laughs> Did you, when you're the high school kid out there, what, mm-hmm. no, uh, so I went there in sixth grade, sixth but then grade. I started working. I went and worked there starting in high school all the way through. I think I stopped working there when I was like wow. 23, 24. So yeah. you keep going out. You love it. Mm-hmm. But you're, did you find a, an Oriunt fossil that changed your life? Was there a um, moment in the field? No. I mean, I have found Oriunt fossils, and I found Oriunt fossils when I was there. Um, but the thing that really, I think, made me more interested in Oriunts is that as an educator – Oriodonts are super common out there. So I wanted to find more information to tell people about Oriodonts. Like, okay, well, this is like the big animal that you're likely to find. Where's all of the information that we should know about it? And I realized that there wasn't any. Like Oriodonts, there just was not a lot of research. There continues to not be nearly enough research, especially considering how prevalent they are. So I uh, was frustrated by that gap in knowledge. It was really annoying that all I could say is, oh, well, they were probably herbivores and they uh, looked like pigs, but they uh, maybe lived like sheep. So this has that become like your, life's, stop. Kind of yeah. your life's mission, you know, to yeah. raise Oriodont <laughs> awareness, you know? I mean... Uh... And do you think because, and I don't want to say they're boring, but they're boring. Is that why they, oh! they're not... Well, they're, no, not I'm not they're boring. But <laughs> to, the average, it, Dave. to the average kid who sees chomping tyrannosauruses is right. not going to be, you know, enthralled by a Cenozoic sheep. I mean, I think that's fair to say about most herbivorous animals, right? If you are really excited about carnivores, yeah, yeah. herbivores aren't exciting. Yeah. But if you're not a person who's like drawn in by all of the blood and gore of the T-Rex and you want to learn something cool about what the world was actually like there's a lot more herbivores than there are carnivores like they're the basis of the the ecosystem Um, and if you're looking at that well Oriodonts are really fascinating they have a lot of different things that they could be telling us but well it gives you a lot of a lot of data to work with right it does because there's so many so you can you have studied hundreds, thousands of these skulls. They're everywhere, mm-hmm. mostly skulls, right? Yes. So oriodonts are blessed with um, bowling ball-like heads. Like they are <laughs> just very hard. So they seem to preserve super, super well. Yeah. <laughs> Much like my chrome dome, yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of an intelodont. They have big, huge, bony, thick skulls. But yes. they don't look like an intelodont. With, with huge cheek protrusions, they or do. do they? Some, Some of them Some do. species do. Mm-hmm. And are those the yeah. big cheek protrusions, uh, the ones that have all the pathology, the, the yes. bites and the punctures and the 
what is it called when uh, it weeps? There's some yeah whole... bone infection. Bone infection. Yeah. Ouch. So they, these <laughs> things lived, and you and there's evidence of healing. So these things walked around with gaping sores on the sides of their faces. Yeah, they. Uh, so the the specific group of oriodonts that walked around with big old gaping nasty sores and looked like zombies, uh, those are primary kakiris, and they had. Um, these really, really massive cheekbones, very similar actually to entelodonts. Entelodonts right. have spurs more on the front. So like if you're feeling your cheekbone, like your cheekbone goes from your eye to your ear, the entelodonts have the stuff that's in front of your eye. That's where they're starting to really give those protections. The primary cacuris, it's the stuff that's by your ear. And not only does it project out laterally, they made these giant hooks that curve up. Why so they look like they have like weird little like kind of rabbit Within ears. In the skull, skull. Or external. Yeah, it... in the skull. So if you look at their cheekbones, they aren't flat. They curl up like little weird, oh, little weird rabbit makes, ears. Makes the face look larger, maybe? I Somehow. suspect so, yeah. Is that the zygoid think... arch? Is that what a cheekbone is? Zygomatic, Zygomatic. yeah. Zygomatic. Zygomatic. Yeah. Zygomatic, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, wait. One thing about this podcast is I'm corrected all the time because I have my strange <laughs> vocabulary of stupidity. I get a curious pleasure out of it too, Dave. You know, it's kind of weird, but I hope Dave screws up again. Psychomatic. And I get to hit the okay, not psychomatic. Papa. Psychomatic. 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 Like automatic. Psychomatic. Is there so a psychomatic. arch, or am I just like in some alien world? I mean, maybe on an alien word. Okay. World. Great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so what's what's with the big cheeks for our listening audience? What are they just just looking cool or what? There has not been a formal study. I still have to publish some of my research, which is about the bite marks that occur on them. But there should be usually some sort of biomechanical advantage. So with entelodonts, people have compared them to hippos because hippos also have relatively large cheekbones that are spread out laterally from their face. And that is so that they can open their mouth up super, super wide and do a behavior called gaping, which is where you're... Yeah, opening your mouth and showing off how terrifying and scary your teeth are so that people will, well, other hippos will leave you alone and not mess with you. And people. people. Yeah, And people, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And entelodonts probably were doing something similar. They seem to have a little bit of a a, a gape to them as well. There's also some um, osteological features in their jaw. Oreodonts don't have those osteological features. They don't have the same gaping capacity. The cheekbones also don't seem to provide any, like, advantage in chewing. It's not like they're making more powerful cheekbones because they're making the parts of them. The parts of them that they're making big are the wrong parts. Like, they're not the parts that make sense if you want to be good at chewing or if you want to be good at opening your mouth. They might be the parts that are good if you want to have a super strong neck, but uh, it's a little hard to say. But what I do see with those particular oridons is that they have bite marks all over them. They're healed and unhealed bite marks. They have signs of bone infection where they literally, if you're eating while listening to this, you might want to (laughs) pause and come back in like another 30 seconds. It's pus that's dripping out of the bone um, because they were so badly infected. There's also ones that have, uh, they have their bone was broken and rehealed. And I've even seen ones where I'm not sure if this happened while they were alive or while they were dead. But when you look at a cheekbone at the top, a top and a bottom half, and in some oridonts in Primaricacurus, they're pulled apart, which is weird. They're not fully fused in anybody or most animals, so like pulled it's, apart it's possible. as an injury. Yeah, so the only place where I've ever the only place where I've ever found that sort of injury is actually in plastic surgery literature. 
um, because there's a plastic surgery that you can get where you can like shave your cheekbones down. That's really common, I guess, in like Ew. Korea and China. I've and had it if done, yeah. you, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, yeah. it looks great. You, Ray, should you give have us the top of your head done too. <laughs> Stop it. But okay, so wait, if you, so isn't, so isn't this? This has to be males fighting for female. Well, so. It's not clear, but with, with this plastic surgery stuff, it's not actually the plastic surgery that's causing it. It's them using their muscles after plastic surgery. They can pull their own face apart. What? What? That's a thing that can happen to you as a person, just so you're aware. Ouch. <laughs> what? And I wonder if that's maybe what's happened to these Oriadons. Um, I found like, uh, I think four or five of them now where they just, it's just no longer attached. And that could be that they just got squished after they died and their bones came apart. Oh, but given that they have all of these other, <laughs> like, injuries and bite marks and broken and rehealed cheekbones, I also wonder if maybe it's a sign that they were broken, rehealed, and then their literal masseter muscles pulled their faces apart. But wait, is this <laughs> bite marks wow. from other oreodonts? Yeah. As far as I can tell, yeah. So, so well, do their the teeth, tooth, does it fit another tooth, you know, because it... You could take another yeah, does jaw. Does the teeth you know? of another uh, Oriadon yeah. jaw fit the bite marks? So they're the right size, but the problem with these bite marks is that they're healed. Right. So it's not like the original shape. So uh, there's no there. Exactly. They don't have like a circle shape for their canine teeth. They're shaped like a little, like a letter D. If you look at them from like oh. the bottom, you can't necessarily see that on a bone where they bit because it's not going to break apart super perfectly, right? Like it's gonna. Uh, you don't have like <laughs> a, just a D-shaped punch mark, but even if you did, um, most of them have heel uh, have healed marks afterwards. So, so they, what's your theory without having yeah. a peer-reviewed paper out? What's your theory? Yeah. Is it other oriodonts, or are, yes. are they being nipped by little uh, <laughs> by little creatures creodonts. in the forest? Yeah, other creodonts. They, yeah. So okay, let me present to you two two options, right? So if it is carnivores. And you are a carnivore and you are trying to kill your prey. Where are you going to bite your prey? The neck. The neck, right? No, yeah, not the, the neck. Stay not away the from those teeth bits. But if you are an animal that has like invested a lot of biological energy into making your cheekbones big enough that they are kind of antler-like and they make you very prominent, where are you going to bite another Oriodont? Is potentially in, in your cheekbones. Cheek yeah. yeah. And the if we look at Oriodont skulls as a whole... I think it was something like 80% of the bite marks and injuries were to the cheeks and nowhere else on the skull. So my theory wow. is that they are biting each other. You know, right. they, it, it sounds like you described as they have lived a traumatic and aggressive lifestyle. Yes. You know, in, in one of your talks. And it sounds like a brutal life. You know, why <laughs> would why would you want to be an Oriana? But, you know, I <sighs> love the image. Are there any other mammals that are extant today that do this? I mean, Not we know that I'm that super aware of. No. Uh, there are other mammals alive today that have, like, similar weird cheekbones. Not just hippos, but uh, there's the giant forest hog, which has... Uh, oh. Yeah, giant forest hog even more so. They have, like, this big, like, lump of bone. Right. And for them, it seems to be uh, to protect their eyes when they're fighting with each other. I don't really see any modern correlates... I mean, camels will bite each other. Camels will kill each oh. other. Camels will kill you too. Camels are yeah. terrifying. You know, yeah. I'm just, I'm getting an image in my head of the uh, Primerica Kiris. Is mm -hmm. that how you say it? Primerica Kiris with a big pussy face, you know, that, that'd be kind of cool. 
you know? Yeah. You know, blood dripping off it and stuff. You're an artist as well, you know, get your art department on it. But, <laughs> you know, one of the things with getting a love for the uh, cow-sized or pig-sized uh, herbivores is a challenge. But, you yeah. know, if they're weird or they're kind of bloody and brutal looking, but one of the weird things, too, is you have deduced that many of them had trunks. Yes, yeah. How did you figure that out? So, to be fair, I was not the first one to notice the well, trunks. Well, okay. All right. To be fair. Uh, to be fair. Um, so, there are three different kind of groupings of Oreodonts that seem to have trunks. And trunks are actually one of those things that are very consistent. They have the exact same style. Not the exact same bone changes, but very similar styles throughout mammals. So, like tapirs and elephants and dictics and saiga antelope all of them have trunks and all of them have kind of similar features in their bones because if you want to put a big fleshy thing in the front of your face mm -hmm. you still would like to be able to see correct good thing yes yes so you can't just smack on a big old dollop of nose you have to move some stuff around in order to support that nose so it's called nasal retraction. So the nose bone itself becomes shorter. And part of that is to support uh, some of the musculature that's going to the trunk. And part of that is just making room because otherwise you can't see around your own face, which is not advantageous right. for any animal. So there's obvious bone morphology that, yes. that indicates the presence of a fleshy host coming off the yes. front of your face. Yes. There's not necessarily, however obvious morphology as to which type of fleshy hose you have because right. there's a big difference between an elephant and a saiga antelope are you guys familiar with saiga antelope yeah that's the one with the two it's got two tubes or, uh, two tubes sticking out and as yes. you said it looks like a creature from yeah star wars yeah these aren't the droids you're looking for they are hilarious looking uh, but they don't have a lot of muscular control with their nose so their nose is used for um, slowing down air particles to make sure they're not inhaling a whole bunch of silica dust. Because they live in the Mongolian is... steppe, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's also used for sound production, which a lot of these trunks are. It's used to make sounds oh. that are bigger and noisier and louder. Trumpet, trumpet, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so with oreodonts, I do think that we see some slight differences in the three different groups of oreodonts that evolved trunks that suggest to me that some of them were muscular, like a tapir, where they're using them to like select lovely little nibbles of food get the nice leaf yeah yeah and then some of them seem to have had less muscle room um and less space for that muscle and so maybe they were doing less movement but more slowing down air particles uh dictic antelopes they use them for thermoregulation so they have like a lot of capillaries in their nose but they're kind of small the dictics yes they're tiny but their trunks are small is what i'm saying yes they're, they're not like something out of an elephant, you know, which is no. half the length of a creature's body. Yeah, and you don't get something that that's that is that long unless there's muscular the control, yeah. right? So you yeah. have to be able to move that. But when you don't need it to pick things up, a lot of times these trunks are used for for different purposes. So there's no prehensile trunks on a on an oreodont. I think there are. Think. Oh, really? Brachycrest. Pre prehensile to the degree that a tapir is. Which one? Uh, Brachycrest. They look like a boot is what their face okay. looks like. Yeah. <laughs> boot. <laughs> they it's look like a boot. tapir. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you also have surmised that they were herding animals and that maybe the grassland 
uh, evolution help spur that on somewhat or what? They're, yeah. they're, they're forest dwelling animals, but herds are really found out in grasslands. Well, they invented or... herding, isn't that right? <laughs> Did they? <laughs> no, but I wait. mean, maybe. <laughs> Duckbill dinosaurs had to be herding, you know, ceratopsian yeah. dinosaurs had to be herding, you know, but but what's what's the evidence behind herds of oreodonts? Yeah, so oreodonts, with any animal, it can be kind of difficult to say for sure that they were in a herd. Uh, even if you find a ton of them, um, maybe they were just having a party. Maybe that was just like a temporary <laughs> seasonal event, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that they were forming herds. Um, with oreodonts, we do find certain species, Primaria curis, the ones with all of the nasty pus faces. Um, we pus do find face. them in groups. There's one, okay. if you've ever you been to the... Death, Car- you find their death assemblages in groups? Yes, yes. If you have ever been to the Carnegie Museum, there's three Primaricacurus skeletons Aww. that they found yeah. that were cuddling together and died in a sandstorm. <laughs> so cute and sad. Yeah. We'll have, all- like, that. we'll have a link yeah. to that uh, picture uh, on uh, your page at Paleo Nerds. A cute yeah. death assemblage. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so they might have all died together. Yeah, cute death <laughs> assemblage. But how, so you, you might find romantic. a big group of them. It's romantic. <laughs> but where do you get the evidence for a herd? Yeah, so that just is. just something you're supposing. That's kind of part of the problem, right? Is that, okay, well, maybe those three just really liked each other. That doesn't, <laughs> like, we don't, we don't call, like, a mom cougar with her three kittens a herd, right? Right. Um, so you have to kind of go into, like, what do you define as a herd? Oreodonts are found, Primaricacurus in particular, are found regularly enough together that I would say they probably were forming some sort of social group. But one of the other indicators of social groups are things like sexual dimorphism, where males and females start to look really different, uh, and where you start to get these extravagant, like, antlers and horns and kind of crazy adaptations to kind of impress other animals and to fight with uh, other males, right? So that's what you start to see with, with herding behavior. You start to see those things kind of co-occur. You also start to see herding. So that's not because herding, it's more like herding causes sexual dimorphism. It also causes stress. If you're in a big group of animals, you have to have some sort of social hierarchy. And maybe in Oreodons, that's why they started biting each other's faces. That's not how I would do it. But I've been to therapy and they haven't. So (laughs) Yeah, but but I have a question though. You know, these... Huge assemblages, these death assemblages, mm-hmm. these death assemblage. I could edit this out when I make it. <laughs> no, no, leave it in. Yeah. Don't it's, you dare, it's don't you dare. Veracity, these, yeah. These death assemblages of oreodonts all over the North and Pacific Northwest, uh-huh. aren't they death assemblages within ash, right? So we don't really have death assemblages in uh, Oregon and Washington. When I'm talking about death assemblages, I'm talking about the stuff in Nebraska. Okay. Um, yeah, and but that is, I mean, it's still ash and sand. Like the ash, the... what's that called? The ash? Ash fall. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a, uh, a state park or something? Yes, yeah. Called? Ashfall. Ashfall, uh-huh. Ashfall State Park in thank Nebraska. You. Thank you very much. It is Ashfall State Park in Nebraska, and okay. uh, there's a, yeah. But wouldn't they, let's say a volcano goes off Yellowstone or something, the ancient Yellowstone, wouldn't mm-hmm. they all run to a water hole and wouldn't they all run to a, a culvert or a canyon to try to get away? Um, so You're that assuming doesn't necessarily that that say works. that they're yeah. hurting. That's like they're <laughs> screaming for their lives. Yeah, you could potentially have that. Um, that would be assuming, however, that 
all of the Oriodonts or all of the rhinos that are living around that oh, volcano right. are going to go for the same culvert. Ah, which, so they're already together. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably already together. Uh, Ashfall is super cool. I've been there. Um, and yeah, you have a great episode on uh, National Geographic uh, that uh, was one it great, series. Or was yeah. I mildly psychotic? <laughs> Well, I don't know. No, Give us the great. backstory. No. You look great. No, you were you walking are. around. You were actually on the actual. I uh, was, dig yeah. There and pointing out certain cool things. A mommy and its baby. And yes, I, and I, I got was a kind of psychotic weird. vibe to it, though. Yeah. So right. What, yeah. What was like, going on? Um, I mean, I was I was very excited. I was very sleep deprived. Uh, I filmed for half a day, and I was so weird that they could only use about a minute and a half of content. And even in that minute and a half, I'm saying things like. Oh, you know, most people get sad when they see dead babies, but for a paleontologist, this is great, <laughs> which is not the vibe of the rest of the documentary where right. everyone else is talking about how sad and scary volcanoes are. Well, that's why you, you, you really, uh, you were very noticeable. <laughs> yeah. I like that part. Yeah. But, yeah. But tell, us, tell us what Ashfall is. What's, what's that incident and what is there? Yeah, so Ashfall State Park is a, it's like a singular kind of event. Uh, it's covered in ash. Uh, and it's a whole bunch of rhino skeletons. There's some other animals as well, uh, but the big kind of bulk of them are rhinos. Um, they think it was a herd. They have baby rhinos. They have fetal rhinos that are still inside the mother rhinos. Oh. Um, and they all have nasty bone disease called Marie's disease, which is basically, it's caused by things like silicosis, where you inhale too much ash. You can get like a massive, massive fever. There was a study that was done that said that their fevers were like, it looked like they had a, all basically a fever of like 100 to 103 by the time that they were dead. But they were alive for weeks because if you look at their joints, their joints all have these like arthritic growths because if you get Marie's disease, your body, like the immune system gets really confused and it starts to attack your bones. And so you get like these... Nasty growths. So they were living in volcanic ash in the atmosphere for months mm -hmm. or weeks. Months, or yeah. How quick how, does that come How long come does on? it take from a clear sky to ash every day, dying from all this bone? A couple, a couple of weeks if you're That's a rhino. It, just two weeks if you're a rhino? Right. If you are a smaller animal, it takes a lot less time, which is why if you look at the stratigraphy of the site... But for this disease to appear, two weeks, really? For you to get... For you to get killed by the disease, the disease itself, I think, will start appearing. If you're inhaling huge amounts of silica, right. uh, yeah, it'll happen pretty fast. Wow. It can also be caused by like certain types of cancers and stuff. It's it's a it's a weird one. It's more like yeah. a symptom than it is right. really a disease. Um, but yeah, like they, it's just your lungs get completely overwhelmed with ash. They don't have trunks. They can't deal with all of that ash. Hey, Dave, this is a really cool factoid. The longest word in the English language is numino ultramicroscopic silicovolcano coniosis, which means to die from lung disease caused by volcano dust. Whoa. So these are short-legged rhinos, the teleoceros, is that? Yeah, I think it's teleoceros, yeah. So they have very ridiculously short little legs, mm -hmm. and but they're cute. They're like little, uh, I don't know, they're little cartoon Bassets. rhinos or something. Yeah, yeah. they're so <laughs> like babar rhinos mm -hmm. or something. But but there are hundreds of them, right, preserved yes. there? Just, yeah. This is just a stretch in the highway. You pull over, and there's out in the middle of nowhere, there's this like interpretive center. Yeah, pretty much. I've never much. been there. Yeah, it's beautiful. I definitely recommend it. Isn't there possible 
sites all around there and that just happens to be sure. the one that some farmer opened up or well so the thing is when you have ash across the landscape the animals especially since in this case they weren't dying right away because it wasn't superheated ash it was ash that just killed them slowly by inhaling ah uh, uh, nice so they had time to move to places that they would normally go to and in this case they think that this was a watering home so right. uh you find the animals that died first at the bottom so small animals first then you find oh, rhinos uh, and the top layer of rhinos, you find things like um, there's a, a vomit fossil, which I took a selfie <laughs> with, and it's my proudest selfie I've ever taken. Are you taken. serious? <laughs> uh, and there's like a carnivore scat, uh, and there's basically indications that carnivores came through back afterwards and were like digging Predation. them up and eating them and eating rotten food. So they were getting sick and like pooping and barfing everywhere. So, yeah, so, that side is so cool. But it's how so sad cool. this must have been a moaning... <laughs> Dying. Oh yeah. Horrible. For them, it sucked. For me, Those awesome. animals and dying For... in the <laughs> lake. Oh, but isn't this a warning that someday it may happen again? See, that's what the vibe that everybody else went with, <laughs> and my vibe was like, "This is amazing." Well, the documentary oh, yes, was <laughs> on a super volcano and what yeah. it would do to humanity if you know yeah. Yellowstone popped. So. Yeah, yeah, I should have, when the director was like, could you tell us how bad it would be if it happened again? I should have picked up that maybe I should have been sadder yeah. if I really wanted to be part of the documentary or a bigger part. <laughs> You're contrarian, I like it. Hey, I want to talk yeah. about, uh, I want to move off of Oreo cookie dance. Oreo dance. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, Oreo you have been recently working with some Archaeology, yeah. the Pliocene-Pleistocene boundary. Yes, uh, and the Pleistocene-Holocene boundary because, yes, paleontologists get really upset when you confuse them with archaeologists and vice versa, and I right. am muddying the waters. <laughs> I am so Ooh. sorry, everyone. Uh, but yeah, I keep uh, I keep working with people down in uh, Oregon on things like the Paisley Caves, which yeah. is a Pleistocene-Holocene uh, people and animals sort of accumulation. Yeah. Explain that controversy with yeah. the dog and human <laughs> DNA in corporalites. And... Uh, yes, the, oh. the, the the human poop that maybe is 14,000 years old or not. Or not. Or the human poop yeah. that was eaten by the dog that was 14,000. Did you hear about that one? I'm not on the, the coprolite oh, papers. Right. All I do with the coprolite is I take that date and then I reconstruct how old the dirt is around oh, the coprolite. Okay. So that's been my aspect of it. Um, I was out there this uh, this past summer. I went to Connolly Caves, which is a, a different cave site that's being run by University of Oregon for their field camp. Uh, and they did find uh, coprolites when they were digging. They weren't able to tell at that point whether they were human or uh, animal. But they, I would not have picked those up as coprolites. Yeah. I would have thought they were just little bits of fluff. Desc- so to Describe the yeah. ecosystem then and now. Lake, real big, real big lake, really, really big lake, Uh, a lot wetter, uh, not necessarily a ton colder, but a lot wetter. Uh, However, at the end of the Pleistocene, things start drying up. That lake starts to disappear. Weirdly, in the Holocene, there was a period where it came back and we actually had like more rain kind of come in because like the currents changed. So we were getting stuff coming up from Mexico. Very strange. Uh, and weather, then the lake disappeared and, completely. And, and moisture from, from the yeah. south, right? Yeah, rain. The Paisley Caves are in eastern Oregon where it's mm-hmm. desert-like now. Yes. Now. 
And yeah. when were they discovered and what's the big deal about the Paisley Caves? And are they restricted from the public? Ooh, uh, so the Paisley Caves, I'm not sure when they were discovered, but uh, Dennis Jenkins at University of Oregon has been the person who's been doing the vast majority of the the research on the Paisley Caves for the last like 50 years. So I suspect that they were found by pot hunters several hundred years ago. Um, but a lot of the research that's been coming out of there has been more recent. They are not necessarily restricted from the public, but we definitely would like people to not go to them because okay, they are right. important no, respect, archaeological sites. Respect our, yeah. our ancient places of wonder. Yes. Exactly. Let the scientists um, discover it first and then make the interpretive state park. Yes. Well, and they're not <laughs> they're not just, you know, important scientific, they're also important cultural uh, landmarks yes. as well. So if you do happen to know where the Paisley Caves are and you do visit, you're not doing anything illegal, just make sure that you're being very respectful and careful of the the area when you visit it. Uh, but the big deal about the Paisley Caves is yeah. that at the time it was published, it was one of the oldest sites of human occupation. It was signs that humans were here during the Younger Dryas, that humans were here prior to the Clovis Wait, culture, which is like... Younger Dryas? What does that mean? It's a climate event oh. that occurred at the end of the Pleistocene. Oh, okay. And, and it's, yeah, and so what it's is like it? its special little what name. What was the climate event? So the climate event of the Younger Dryas is it went really, really cold very quickly, and then it got really, really hot really quickly, and then it became the Holocene. Uh, so it was really dramatic climate oh. change. In a so very the, short period of it's time, the transition from the Pleistocene to the Holocene. Yeah, basically, but it's like a it's a several degrees change in um, seemingly global climate huh. for a very like over the course of like a couple hundred years. What, so, do they know what caused that? Not necessarily. There are lots of theories. One big theory is that it's a big like ice sheet melting thing. That there was um, some ice sheet melting, maybe like a. a a dammed up lake over in uh, northern Canada that drained into the Atlantic and so flooded it with fresh water and kind of oh. shoved all of that system out of whack and caused this massive climate change for a brief period of time. And this is 12 to, when was this, 15,000 years yeah, ago? Yeah, I think it's like, I think it's like 12 to 13,000. The Young Dryas, which Younger Dryas, that yeah. coincide with the end of the megafauna and the arrival of humans uh -huh. and all that stuff. A lot of stuff happened yeah. right then. Yes, which is why it's really hard to do research on whether or not people killed megafauna or maybe right. climate killed megafauna. Well, I jumped into that research paper that Ray sent me a link. And let me tell you, not only <laughs> yeah, is it, I said, watch. it's very difficult reading these research papers because they are so <laughs> technical. But basically, yeah. after me diving in for an hour, they couldn't come up with a conclusion. They said, maybe it is humans. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's climate. Are you talking about yeah. my research paper, Dave? No, um, was, I don't know. Was it yours? Was, were you part of that? I have one. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it was uh -oh. the same one. All I know yeah. is there were so yeah. many names. A in Really technical. I'm sure it wasn't me. If it was me, you could have read it. Oh, right, right. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's but basically, the conclusion but, uh, was that there was no conclusive evidence. That was my conclusion as okay. well. Yeah. Well, there you there go. You go. Uh, well, my conclusion was for most of the United States, there's no conclusive evidence. Right. There are, it's more likely, I think, in my opinion, to have been largely a climate event than a people driven event because there are places where megafauna and people coincided for like 8,000 right. years. So, yeah. <laughs> at least Although locally, Australia, I don't think they were they're murderers. They're pretty sure that the arrival of the uh, Aborigines coincided with. Uh, Yes. The megafauna destruction there. However, they coexisted for something like 
20,000 years with the megafauna. Well, and in Africa, they have coexisted for and millions they're still of there. years. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, let me ask you, what work are you doing at the Paisley Caves? What are you looking at there? What's your work? So right now, uh, I'm working on, uh, I got a grant with Rebecca Terry at Oregon State University, and we are looking at small mammal diversity. So uh, she's the small mammal person. I'm the age depth modeling person. So I take, I take all of the dates and I tell her how old all of her little mammals are. Um, but she's basically comparing living populations of mammals to um, there's accumulations of like rats and mice and all sorts of little tiny things over time in the Paisley Caves, both uh, maybe because people were eating them, but also because other carnivores were bringing them in. Sometimes they, you know, buried themselves. Are there middens? Some of them are middens. Some of them are not. So you do get a lot of wood rats because you're right next to the caves. So you get a lot of wood rat middens. But we're looking to see how you can kind of trace climate change using small mammals because small mammals are very sensitive to different changes in climate. So looking at them, you can piece together climate change. And what types of things are you finding? Are you finding pollen and seeds and the collection of what they... We're not even looking at that. We're just looking at the mammals themselves because you get like, you know, you get chipmunks when you have more trees and more shrubs. You get kangaroo rats when you have more deserts. Yeah. So you can see these things kind of appear and then disappear um, through time, uh, in some of the preliminary research, at least we, we are now getting a lot more data. Um, yeah. I, I just have a kind of veering off into a little bit more of a, a, a different topic in a way you are doing research and mm-hmm. you are also teaching and mm-hmm. you are teaching from central Washington yeah. uh, in Arizona <laughs> virtually. Yep. Uh-huh. But are you living <laughs> off of soft money with research grants that are like the uh, uh, and you're you're doing also science communication. You're doing uh-huh. Marianne's Revenge. Yes. What's what's Megan's life like in terms of <laughs> so, splitting your time? My full time employment is uh, as a assistant professor at University of Arizona. OK. And uh, our department is the information science school. So. We like I teach data analysis. I teach science communication. I'm teaching a class on educational game design. So we wow. teach a lot of like this game designy, techy kind of science uh, sort of aspects. Which I did a lot of data science during my undergrad, and I've done or not my undergrad during my my grad degree. I, I was the math person, and now I'm learning a lot more about game design, and I've designed a couple games. And this grant, a big part of that is that um, I'm also our broader impacts is we're creating a video game basically to kind of represent the the field research that we've done where you're going to be able to go to like a representation of the Paisley Caves wow, and you're going to okay. be able to go do like little research projects and then you're going to get thrown back in time and you'll get to see what that piece of research tells you about the Pleistocene. So it's a teaching aid so, or is it Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a video game so it'll be downloadable and playable awesome. by anybody. Yeah, but the goal is to show us all research. When is it done? When can we see it? <laughs> oh my God, my students are moving so much faster. When can we play <laughs> it? That's the question. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Um, but I do think that we will have a prototype um, with at least one quest probably done by the end of the year. So cool. Is the plan. So yeah. is this part of a research grant that has an outreach component to it? And this is the outreach yes. component? Yeah, yeah. So this is the outreach. And so um, I'm not what's called soft money is a person who only gets paid if they get a grant. 
I'm not soft money because I get paid to teach during the year, but I'm also getting paid additionally on top of this because I'm only paid for nine months of the year because I'm a professor and I only work for nine months of the year. Uh, so I'm getting an extra month of pay to work on this during the summer and to go do things like I went uh, down to the Paisley Caves this summer and uh, caught rats and mice and gave them their weird little haircuts, which is part of the science that I don't fully understand. What, what do they you mean? Catch, what? They do catch and, wait, wait, <laughs> you, catch and release. Are you getting their hair to study or are you you shaving <laughs> yeah. them to see how yeah. they react with no fur? <laughs> no, it's not a it's not a behavior thing. They will they do catch and release where they catch because they're trying to figure out how many of each different type of species live there today right. so they can cross compare it. So they set up traps. I say they, but I was there. I was not useful, but I was there photographing everything. Um, and they set up a whole bunch of traps. You go and you look at them the next day. Uh, you put like little Sharpie marks on mice before you release them so that you know that you caught them before. Because <laughs> sure. sometimes they figure out that it's like oh, a there you convenient are again. Yeah, it's high. Yeah. yeah. But they also want to take, they're doing a stable isotope study. So they are taking little hair samples so they could do right. stable isotopes. So from this mouse perspective, they get caught in a trap. And then the next day, they get, they get weighed, they get measured, they get a fake tattoo, and they get a haircut, and then they're just <laughs> released into the wild. Very disorienting so, for the animal. So you can yeah. tell how many mice and the species diversity now, but how do you know yeah. the rodent diversity 14,000 years ago? Just through bones? Bones, yeah. But through bones bone only represent a very small amount of, of fossilized remains, of fossilized, of living creatures. Yes. Um, and there is always going to be a signature. How did those bones get into the ground? Um, so there's also a signature in modern collections. I didn't know this. You cannot catch rabbits on these modern trap lines. Like if you want to do catch and release, you have to set up an entirely different style of trap for rabbits. And it's really hard to catch rabbits. Right. So they are estimating rabbits from owl pellets. Right. So they're actually taking owl pellets and looking at the bones. And actually, probably a lot of the bones that we're looking at in the fossil record are probably owl pellets right. that show like an accumulation from the landscape. But if it's a rodent that's not going to be caught by an owl, maybe it's diurnal, for example, and it's not awake when owls are awake, we might not necessarily have a record of it. So it's definitely not a perfect record. But there's so much bone that is accumulated in these cave sites because of owls, because of other birds of prey, because of humans. And preservation. Of the themselves. Caves have better preservation. And caves have really good preservation. Yeah. So it's still a it surprisingly still to me that, complete record. Uh, yeah. That you're only getting a, such a small sample from an owl mm -hmm. pellet or from a bone in a cave from 15,000 years ago. How do you extra... Mm -hmm. How do you say extrapolate? Extrapolate. How do, you, extrapolate. <laughs> how do you extrapolate that into a living, thriving population? Okay. The archaeological units, they're a meter by a meter. Right. Right. So you take a meter by a meter section going down into the ground. How many bones do you think we find of little rodents in that meter by meter section? Oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Lots. Thousands. Okay. Yes. Thousands. You mean in a meter okay. by meter square? <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's a, okay. And, of course, they do... 20 or 30 of those per cave and we're not just looking at one cave right <laughs> we're looking at like five caves and then we're also wow. looking at a cave to the north so like the scale of bone is much bigger than it is if you look at other fossils if you're looking past the pleistocene oh my god you'd be lucky to have like a couple handful unless you're studying oridons right in which case congratulations you've won the lottery there are thousands of them right. as well right. but for every other mammal 
yeah, it can be really hard because you're not necessarily <laughs> going to find that accumulation. But with Pleistocene, that explains yeah, it. you're going to find okay. it. Okay. Well, it's been absolutely a blast talking to you. And uh, yeah, we have two more questions we we're going to throw at you. And I okay. do want to, you know, Mary Anning's Revenge, that's how I discovered you, and through <laughs> Amy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm so excited that I hope you're going to keep that going as well. Yes, we, uh, so we have a podcast that's coming out in uh-huh. uh, hopefully January or February. You have to send us the link uh, so we can share I it will. on paleonerds.com. Yeah. Weird and Dead. That's oh, our podcast. That's great. That's Weird and great. Dead. Yeah. Well, I fit two of those yeah. categories. No, one. <laughs> Just one, I'd hope. Yeah. So, Megan, if you could go back in time, what exciting epoch, what perfect period, what exquisite era would you go back to, and what exactly would you want to see? I mean, the loyalist in me says that I should go back to look at Oriodons, but the actual answer is I would probably go back into, like, I want to say like the Miocene, Oligocene of South America, so I could ah. see what a Latopteran looks like, because <laughs> they are so weird. Uh, they are another trunked animal. They look like if you slapped a trunk on a camel, uh, but they're not related All to that. camels or horses. They're so weird. Latopteran, I think. A what? Yeah, I've always pronounced it as Liptoturn, and I've only recently realized that that is absolutely not... No, it's not. It's not even spelled that way. It's just say how it my brain. It's like L I T O P T E R N. I think it's Latopterne. But I like. I think oh, it's just because it has genus. a big nose. So that's how it's spelled. The genus, that is. Like the one that's right. got oh, the Macrocania. Macrocania. That's it. Yeah. And yeah. what's so weird about them? So tell Dave how weird they are. I mean, oh. they're they're weird because they're right. they're basically they look like chunked camels, um, but their skulls are so strange. So normally with animals that have trunks, you get nasal wow. retraction. They have no nasal bone. They just lost it. They look like a whale. That's how they they, right. they look like they have a blowhole. And so I wonder how big that trunk must have been for them to require that much room for muscle. Oh. Alien looking. Giant hole in their head. Let's go with Macrocania. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the genera. Yeah. Wow. One of the genera. Wow. Yeah. So. Well, we're gonna have uh, a picture of a lit- Macrocania. Well, that's the that's the genus. Sure. It's Latin. Okay. Who cares? Right. <laughs> so I find it incredible that uh, Maracoidontidae, mm-hmm. with all its different artiodactyl species and those adorable oreodonts, they thrived. For, well, let's just say 34 million years, right? Or do you want to say 45 million? Yes. So it's an incredible success story. Do you think there are any tips for success we humans could apply from their story? Well, if you want to be super philosophical, I would yes. say grab any and all opportunities and don't be afraid to diversify and try different things because that's definitely what they were good at. And did it save them? No, but it might save you. So <laughs> give it a whirl. Yeah. Yeah. No competition. And what, what didn't save them? What happened? They couldn't adapt to what? They seem to not have been able to adapt to a combination of changing climate and then uh, the ever-expanding grasslands competition, probably from other things like horses. 
Nobody's actually studied it, so it's kind of just guesswork at this point. Somebody give me a grant and I will study it. Or you get a grant and you study it. There's more than enough work on Oriodonts for everybody. There is room for more. Oh, so much more. Yeah. Maybe one parting question. You you are a full-time professor. You're a teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you see as your hope for uh, humanity with the next generation (laughs) coming up? Yes, and there's also some jerks just like there are in every generation. And I feel like we always talk about the the jerks of the generation and not the uh, the shining examples. But I definitely will say that Gen Z is going to be more socially adept and emotionally attuned than any of our previous generations, which means they will probably be more resilient in the long run. Um, some of them are really annoying. I will say that. But I think people also probably said that about me when I was in college. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how they develop. Yeah. Well, that's hopeful. And I yeah. like it. Yeah, there you go. There's hope. There's hope for us <laughs> in the next generation. Yeah. Well, Megan, it's been awesome. And uh, I learned so much, even though I, I dove in, but I learned so much today. Great. Well, it's been awesome talking to both of you. Thank you for yeah. having me. And uh, I want to do an Oreodot t-shirt now or something. Yes. I don't know. Yes. You know, I sent you a picture. <laughs> I sent you that little drawing yes. of the Oreodot and the Oreo. Surely yep. it's been done before, right? Yeah. Yeah, a few times. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Anyways. Never as well. Never as well, Ray. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course, yeah. Ray. You are the consummate artist. Oh, there you it's go. There. True. It's true. All the pictures and topics uh, that we discussed today will be on your page at paleonerds.com. So if you want to dig in and find out what a lip to turn in at it, what is it? Uh, sure. Yeah, that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what is it called? I don't want to say it again because I She's don't think I'm saying it right. <laughs> a lip turn. Lip turn. A macrocania. Mm-hmm. A macrocania. A picture mm-hmm. of one will be on your page at paleoners.com. Yeah. Well, thank you, Megan. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was great talking to you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, hey. that was exciting. <laughs> I knew she'd be a lot of fun to talk to. I could just, t- you know, her writing is just fun, whimsical, and, yeah. you know, uh, Mary Anning's Revenge, the website, uh, the blogs they do, just a hoot, but... Yeah, we yeah. we do our homework. You and I. Well, she brings you know. a bit of humor and jovial uh, attitude to what you know can be a very dry dry topic. Well, that's what we do. <laughs> we try to, you know, except when uh, you know I bring it down a notch or two and get all serious and weepy. And, and I misspoke. And, yeah, and, and miss. We are yeah. humans. We are flawed. But anyways, it, it was it was fun. And uh, I have a greater appreciation for the the underappreciated uh, uh, Oreo dots. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know if we really didn't get deep into it, but they had deep. claws. There were swimming ones. There was so many different Pink size, types cow size, big. You know. Yeah. And I think we settled on forty five million years for the entire group. Yeah, for the entire family. That's of- what. Of, we were getting lost in all the science, and yeah, there's the yeah. thirty. Anyways, but think about that. You know how long forty-five million years is? I mean, how long was the Cretaceous period? Oh, was that something like ninety million? Oh man, this is where we have to have our charts. It lasted nearly eighty million years, so I was close. But here's one for you. Think about a year, right? Then think of fifty years. That's you know seventy years, a lifetime. I'm going to be 70 soon, Dave. I'm I'm looking at that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to be. So you said that number, and I winced. But yeah, I'm approaching that. So then think of 
500 years, 1,000 years, then think of 100,000 years. Now take 100,000 years 10 times, that's only 1 million years. I know, so uh, that's what you see with evolution. And it seems so extraordinary to see all these big changes, but you know, add lots and lots and lots and lots of time. So many sunsets and sunrises. Yes. It's just hard to fathom. But yeah, I just keep picturing those dueling oreodonts with the big cheeks, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, I might have to draw and the those. Pus, and the, the pus, pussy, the pus, the, the blood, cheeks. the bites. Ew. But I'm excited because the magic phone tells me at two o'clock today, the sun will come out and it will set at about 320. <laughs> so... So we get oh, about great. an hour and 20 minutes of sunshine, Dave. So I'm going to put on my sunscreen and head to the okay. beach. Okay. All right. That's what you I'm going to do, do man. That. Make sure you wear uh, a, a down jacket. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's it's a bit chilly, but and it's damp. The dampness is all about. But, you know, I enjoy it. That's why I'm here. I draw a lot of pictures, Dave. I draw a lot of pictures. I'm out in the studio. I'm going to go draw an Oreo down. Go draw an Oreo Don. This is Dave, uh, six days away from the winter solstice in Ojai, That's California, right. where the temperature is 74 degrees. Yeah, you like to flaunt it, don't you? Oh, well, but uh, yes. by choice, Raymond Troll signing off from the Tongass National Rainforest and uh, enjoying every bit of it. So, all right. Peace and love, man. All right, buddy. Ciao. All right. See you next one. Bye. Thanks for being a paleo nerd. Help us spread the word of science. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can even email your questions and comments to nerds at paleonerds.com. Did you know each episode is paired with pictures and links? Check out paleonerds.com for photographic evidence that everyone here has been a paleo nerd for a long, long time. 